1973, a group of indigenous artists formed a collective. The press called them the Indian Group of Seven. Their goal? To raise the profile of indigenous art. It was all or nothing. We're representing all our people. And create a permanent space in galleries for indigenous artists in Canada and around the world. That was really a rock star moment for me. I'm Soleil Lunier, and this is Among Equals, the history and legacy of the professional native Indian artists, Inc. Listen wherever podcasts are heard. Art Slice is a different dive into art history. We goof around, we curse, you learn from it, but don't expect a typical lecture. You're welcome. Hey listeners, we're coming at you with something a little bit different and letting you all listen in on our conversation with artist, writer, and choreographer, Maddie Davis. This was originally recorded for some promo content in partnership with The Momentary in Benville, Arkansas. And while it's not our usual content, we really enjoyed the conversation and thought that it was applicable to Art Slice listeners like yourselves. Stick around to hear how Maddie went from growing up in the suburbs, building trees, houses and skate rails to creating performance art and experimental publications. Side note, with this being our first in-studio interview, we had some audio issues with the recording. We cleaned it up as much as possible and we don't think it's too much of a distraction. And just a quick Goya Part 2 update, we've added a lot of video elements, so be sure to subscribe, watch it on YouTube when it comes out, fingers crossed, should be out this week, should be out this week, universe, do you hear me? Should. Send us the good vibes, y'all. So if you can't, listeners, check out Maddie Davis's work online before this interview. MaddieDavis.net. Because there's a lot of physicality in his work, and it's all built on this, like, tension between bodies, and there's this combo of, like, performance and gesture and dance and sports. But we're going to just jump right into the interview. And yeah, Maddie's going to tell us about himself and his upcoming performance. Uh, my name is Maddie Davis. I'm an artist and choreographer who currently lives in California. Here in Kansas, uh, visiting a good, dear friend, writer Chloe Cooper Jones, en route to Bentonville, where right. I'm presenting uh, a museum commission at the Momentary, a new work called Dino Die Arkansas, designed for four to six performers in which traverses. 800 meters of the momentary campus. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of generated and conceptually sort of in the spirit of a, of a shooting star. And I think really examines like the way in which choreography is, is able to, to, to hold us and contain us. My work is like intensely collaborative. I mean, it's all, it's deeply social in a way too. Mm -hmm. Like other people are just fundamental to it. And yeah, I'm not, I'm not like making work with the same people mm -hmm. over and over again. Like I'm really committed to synthesize space that emerges through like multiple people meeting mm -hmm. and the negotiation of like our needs and desires and, and what you're interested in and what I'm interested in and what happens when we smash those things. I have no allegiance to making like work about this. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's like, I, I think that each project is particular just owing to the particularity of the people and the place that mm -hmm. make it up. And it's not about trying to like force meaning or mm -hmm. to, like force an agenda or to mm -hmm. force like pre-existing concepts. Um, it's much more about like discovering what's there mm -hmm. and then like, yeah, just like trying to find the truth of that. 
die, no die, specifically responds to the particularity of a given place where it's happening. Wherever it's happening, there's mm-hmm. a new team of performers that's assembled. There's a new publishing element that is developed based on the site specificity of where the work is taking place, etc. So for Arkansas, it really digs into, say, snakes and diamonds and the particularity mm. of some of the lives that are that are a part of the work there. So what kind of research did you did you do for that? It sounds like you really explored the area. Is that typical of your work? Or are you are you thinking about the place that you're performing in? I don't know. Arkansas feels like this weird sort of like vortex and portal as far as like my practice goes. Okay. I was invited to do a show there back in 2018 at the Fine Arts Center Gallery at mm-hmm. the University of Arkansas. And the show that I did was sort of prompted by this curator, Michael mm-hmm. Mizells, who invited me. He was really fascinated with this network of conspiracy theories that run through the state, I guess, um, and which ultimately sort of pertain to Barry Seal and the importation of thousands of pounds of cocaine into oh, the United States whoa. and the Iran-Contra affair and all the North <laughs> oh and that's connection to the Clintons and all this okay. shit. You know, I mean, like, I'm an artist who, I don't know, I'm really interested in, like, emotionality and the heart and just, like, the specific of place and the people that are a part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wasn't going down there to be Sherlock Holmes. I knew that I was I, I, Maddie Davis, who was living in New York, did not have the key to unlock these <laughs> fucking conspiracy theories, yeah. of course. You know, I was way more interested in like, all right, there's all this shit floating around in the ether regarding mm-hmm. these events. What happens when we like suit up, mm-hmm. meaning like put on our fucking tick spray, mm-hmm. let's oh get my our God. boots on, we, got, we need a machete, yeah. we need like a local person who knows these lands, mm-hmm. and let's go let's go into the Wachita mountains and see you know these alleged cia black sites where people were allegedly landing planes in the forest and training Uh, iran contra fighters and what i ended up becoming very interested in was the way in which these conspiracy theories really rippled into the lives of ordinary americans and mm -hmm. how that how it touched them and in some cases like left them bereaved of children or left them financially ruined or or just haunted That project was my introduction to Arkansas, and it was Mm -hmm. very much in the land, working with people. There was an NCAA athlete that was a part of the project, Mm -hmm. this former Senate Green Party candidate, a local contractor and builder, many different kinds of people. And so that's like what established this relationship to that place. And then in the case of like Dino Die, I was invited by Cynthia Post-Hunt, the curator at the Momentary, to do a residency. Um, You know, I started to get really, again, sort of just like drawn into the particularity Mm -hmm. of the land in Arkansas. Like I became really interested in like the crater of diamonds and the way in which uh, a diamond like relates to how I was thinking about choreography and the way in Mm -hmm. which choreography effectively for me is kind of like a container in which to like hold a life, like to Mm -hmm. hold a body and its particular and its history and its desires. If we were to step out in your hallway here mm-hmm. and, and I showed you like this choreographic gesture right. that's a part of how shall the resolve thyself where you okay. have to do a, you have to like balance and releve like in the palm of your own hand, okay. crushing it effectively under your own foot. What is it about my experience, my associations, mm-hmm. my abilities and yours that like makes this thing really different mm-hmm. or opens up really particular trains of thoughts when like our bodies are activated in this way okay. when, when you experience pain in this form and i experience pain in okay. this form how does it offer reveal something different i mean our bodies are different mm-hmm. of course but we all have this similar organization of bone and tissue and musculature mm-hmm. but you know there's a way in which like our lived experience or like the forces and demands that are mm-hmm. put on our bodies reshape them in different ways so, like thinking of the body as its own kind of like space of through which like yeah, experience is refracted. Um, thinking about choreography like that, how it's like this common space that we can push ourselves into and right. but it casts us in different directions mm-hmm. depending on 
what we need or what we desire. It's just a reminder of how like nuanced each one of us is and like every movement, like every blink of an eye. You have to really be in tune with with every part of your body, right? And in motions just leaves so much to chance. And a lot of it relies on the individual, but as well as the environment, which is really interesting. It's really fascinating to think about all of those aspects coming together. Yeah, and responsivity is a huge part of my work. When you're engaged in like this physical world with another person, like I'm not making a performance where it's like left foot here, right foot here. Mm-hmm. Like you're really bearing another person's weight. You know, you you can like feel when maybe they're like stepping or pressing into a certain mm-hmm. part of your body where you're at the point of breaking. And mm-hmm. so it's like, how am I constantly listening and adjusting and making new decisions so as to like navigate whatever it is that we're doing together? It's like you encounter a cottonmouth snake in the river that you have to fjord. And it's just like, fuck, like, what do we do? Like, mm-hmm. you know, and it ends up that like the guy in front of me takes out his machete and like slashes at this at this snake, you know, and then the snake falls into the water and it's not dead. And we have to cross this thing. It's like, what's the next decision? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're constantly sort of like responding to life unfolding in front of you. Mm-hmm. Being on like the live living edge of the body is mm-hmm. something that very much guides like mm-hmm. how I work. I think for our listeners who are maybe more like traditional artists, that that checks out to me too. Like sometimes it's it's just about like letting the material guide you. Like sometimes when you force your will upon something, it's not always going to work. <laughs> so I don't think they're that different. I'm always trying to find those connections between yeah. like maybe work that may seem like different to artists who are just starting out to and showing that, yeah, you can also take what you've learned in like a painting class and apply it to like a, a life of like exploring performance or a life of exploring exploring research. Does that check out to you? (laughs) I don't want to put words in your mouth. but (laughs) I think the truth of the material or the truth of the process is like, that's just like, that's the Mm. important listening that is a part of being an artist, Mm -hmm. you know, and and being a custodian for like, for the meaning that is like percolating and arising from a thing. Something we always talk about on Art Slice is the audience's role uh, in an artwork. And we've talked a lot about your role in researching and actually like making your work. But what is the audience's role when it comes to your work? Is it like looking at a sculpture or a painting in a museum or is it something different? Yeah, I mean, I I think like uh, there's not one answer. I mean, I think project really has its own particular way of creating space for audience, you know. So for instance, there's a project that I made with an artist in Chicago named Brian Saner called Woodbone Mill. And the work takes place site specifically in Brian's yard in relation to this mulberry tree. And it was designed to take place in each of the four seasons over the course of one year. And so there's a way of sort of sculpting a space to inhabit time, like with other people in the intimate space of like a yard, like through time together. Usually, like we go and we see a performance and then we leave and we never see that performance again. We're never with the exact same people Mm -hmm. seeing that performance. But insofar as this was happening seasonally over the course of one year, we would have people who would like come and convene in the yard in Mm -hmm. the fall. And then the same people would come in the winter in which like we're building some ground fires to help support, like keep people warm and Mm -hmm. comfortable. And in the spring, then like those people, some of the people who came in the fall and the winter coming to spring. And then finally, when we presented in the summer, we presented it specifically like within like the ethos of a summer night and so these are just like all these different i think spaces like in the real world that we spend together and that we're sort of sculpting in relation to like this work so in the case of like dino die like this is a work that traverses like 400 meters of the museum campus Mm. sorry did i say 400 800 meters of the museum campus (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah like nearly half a mile and 
I mean, I work a lot in experimental publishing, mm -hmm. too. And in the case of like the publication that we've made for Dino Die Arkansas, when you buy a ticket to the work, you receive the publication in advance. Right. And it's sort of like a way of like almost priming them to the conditions of the work. You know, it's obviously an experimental thing to like mail this to an audience mm -hmm. in advance mm -hmm. to start shaping or priming them mm -hmm. toward this experience. It's yep. very different than if like you're sitting within the, the relative neutrality of like a black box theater where mm -hmm. you can sort of disappear into the dark and into your seat and, you know, sort of have like a very private, passive witness experience of something. Like okay. on one side of the publication, there's like an actual like performance map that relates to like nice. the work's trajectory cool. and like how far it is and like what the various surfaces are. And so there's a way in which like the work is like there, there huh. there's multiple layers of choreography. There's like, yes, these choreographies that each of the six performers bring to the work. Mm -hmm. But then there's sort of this bird's eye choreography in which like there's the movement of this bigger body, mm -hmm. which is like the entirety of like the people in like who are present with the work. Mm -hmm. So if we have 90 people like there's a particular way in which like there's another layer of choreography that deals with like the movement of like mm -hmm. this and like the entirety of like the the body that is mm -hmm. present for the work gotcha um and this has never been done before like like i had this is the premiere of yeah. the work so there's yeah, also going to be things that we learn about just like all right let's open the lid on this thing and like see what <laughs> happens you know and then this work is going to the University of Iowa and it's, you know, moving, I think, closer to like a thousand meters there and in a very different wow. context mm -hmm. with a whole new team of performers. We're going to see what happens, you know, maintaining that live edge of the work and we'll respond as necessary or what feels, you know, like the truth of it, you know, or like what's meaningful or what needs adjusted so as to right. better access what mm -hmm. feels meaningful. There's also a golf cart for anybody who's like, yo, I just like, I don't know, I want I want to move. But like, I don't know, maybe they're on crutches, but they want sure. to come and you know, yeah, there's all these considerations. It's constantly changing, which is really great to see that to to evolve. Yeah, I know. I think that's great. I think our listeners could could definitely like really think about doing work like this and like how it applies to maybe their own practice, too. So it's really great to, to hear that. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about this publication and how it's connected to the work? Yeah. And I mean, so like on one side of this thing, you know, and it's fully unfolded is like this mm -hmm. performance trajectory is relates to like the, the work. And then on the other side, I think is like, I don't know, it's sort of like an emotional mm -hmm. texture that's a part of the work. There's two parts effectively to the publication. The second of which is like this book of, of transcripts. When I met up with these ecological educators, with whom these like transcripts are produced, we are walking the performance trajectory together. So I did a conversation with a woman named Samantha Best and with another woman named Yannick Dwyer. And separately, we walked this performance trajectory that you see on the side of the publication. And I was just really curious to talk with each of them about plant life and ecology as relates to like the momentary. Because the momentary is something that's called a bioswale, which right. I don't know if you're familiar. Yeah, it's yeah. a way of sort of like, um, yeah, like reviving like what like the purpose of wetlands, mm -hmm. which is like water filtration and, and stuff like this. Um, but I wanted to do that walk specifically because like I think in Dino, one of the things in Dino Die is just like is recognizing like all of these different like layers from the macro to the mm -hmm. micro that we're like connected to not only each other, but like the, the world that surrounds us at all times. And mm -hmm. so like understanding like the way in which like, you know, various plant life at the momentary like supports other organisms that we're among like it's like you can go to the momentary and be amidst this performance but also have a really intense understanding of like wetlands in arkansas and understanding like the history of service berry 
which is like present in the bioswale. Understanding like the grass that like some of the performance takes place Mm -hmm. upon Mm -hmm. and like what it's doing and not doing, Mm -hmm. you know, for the environment at large. You know, so it's like, yes, we can be talking about plants, but then like suddenly that segues into all this other stuff. Talk about serotonin. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Now we're talking like, you know, about humans specifically, but then that's obviously connected and emerged from Mm -hmm. talking about, you know, these black eyed Susans that were Mm -hmm. plopped in the ground a couple weeks ago. Yeah, it's really interesting to see all these multiple layers on which you can can experience this. Like to me, like this is just interesting in its own right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like seeing the performance alongside this, I'm wondering like what that unlocks for people who really give this a chance to to really read through this before they go there. Yeah, it's so interesting because in a way you kind of have to shed like any preconceived notions when you approach this and just remember like you're here as a human. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like, well, and like the things you might know about art or not, um, kind of have to just put those aside and just let the experience, like just kind of experience it and then just take what you get from it. Anyone who is present at the performance and who brings this and submits this as their ticket, mm-hmm. there will be a second act of printing that happens in this. I'm working with this, uh, the printmaker at the University of Arkansas okay. who will be cool. making like a really unique or a unique silkscreen overprint oh, nice. for actually this part of the publication. Uh, what happened then will be, and that's dependent on what happens in the live work. So I don't even know what this element is yet. Yeah. Like I'm waiting to like sort of pull something from the live moment that mm-hmm. feels meaningful to overprint in this publication. Then that would be redistributed to you. So mm-hmm. only if you're present at the performance mm-hmm. and you submit this as your ticket, will you then like mm-hmm. eventually receive this as like an original silk screened publication. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's very cool. What would you say is a good entry point to your work? Because we have a really wide ranging audience. We have emerging artists, we have seasoned artists, and then just like everyone else in between who just like love art and art history. Entry into my work? Mm-hmm. Entry into your work or even entry like for them to, to get into this yeah. kind of art making? I grew up personally as like an athlete. I mean, I grew up in the suburbs of Pittsburgh. I didn't know anybody who was an artist. I was building tree houses and shitty skate rails. You know, like doing just crass, crude shit like Mm -hmm. out in the suburbs like people do growing up, you know, and I don't know, I was fortunate to get my act together and like go to college. And that's really where I was introduced to art making and Mm -hmm. to dance and performance stuff. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think I felt initially like, wow, this is like a world that is so foreign to me. Like, I don't understand this at all. And Mm -hmm. I felt like I had to like leave myself behind. Mm -hmm. I had to leave dirt biking behind. I had to leave rollerblading behind. Mm -hmm. I had to let go of this self that didn't seem to match the demands of art making Mm -hmm. or like the, the person I was supposed to be to make art. And then I, I sort of did leave those things behind. Mm-hmm. I like threw away my rollerblades. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I didn't have any perspective, you know, and I fit myself into like what I thought I was supposed to do as an artist. And, you know, I think I was able to like make some decent shit and like learn and whatever. But, you know, as you age and you get a little bit more perspective and you gain the confidence to like be truer to yourself and whatever, I was like, yo, like this mold of being an artist doesn't fucking work for me, yeah, right. you know? And so I was like, yo, let's get those rollerblades out. Mm-hmm. Like, yo, let's get the machete out. Let's, like, <laughs> I got to like go and do the shit that like I really desire and figure out how to make meaning and make work in relation to like those experiences, the sensations that I want to feel, the conversations that I want to have, like the reading experiences that I want to have. You know, we get taught like this particular art history and we get shown like these particular representations of like what our work's supposed to look like or Mm -hmm. where it's supposed to be and all this shit. But that's just like one little slice of human life, you know, or that's like one particular arm of power, like shape 
shaping the cultural landscape. And it doesn't have to look that way. So it's just like, what do you want? How do you want it to be? Maybe you don't want to pick up a pencil. Maybe you want to pick up a whatever. Some bamboo or something. (laughs) Bamboo. Or you want to like, you know, take like the charred log out of your fire. Make drawings with that, Mm -hmm. you know. So I think just letting go of the academic, cultural Mm -hmm. and pressure and just like, I don't know, light your torch and walk down the road that just feels like the kind of life you want to live. Chloe and I talk a lot about this concept of slotting, Mm -hmm. like the gallery, the white cube or like pedestal related work. That's a particular slot. Mm -hmm. Humans have generated sort of the ice cube tray, so to speak, for this kind of work. And there are particular opportunities and good reasons for which that particular ice cube tray exists. Mm -hmm. But there's so many ice cube trays that have yet to be designed. Mm -hmm. You know, there are particular slots for the kind of work that we make or want to make that don't exist yet. And don't let that preclude you. Maybe there's no market yet for like this weird experimental publishing thing you're trying to do. (laughs) But fuck it. You got to do that. You got to try to make that tray. You're going to you're going to push the people around you to make the more experimental stuff that they maybe want to make or feel scared to make. So I think just really being true to like what you want to feel, how you want to feel it, like how you want your shit to be read or seen. Don't let like your experience, your personal experience feel like invalid. You saying like skate or not skateboarding, but rollerblading made me think of like the physicality of your work. <laughs> it made me think of like hardcore dancing, watching some of your performances too, where you're you're crashing into one another. It is about this sort of group exercise, this group movement. Why can't that be an inspiration for work? If there are these little moments that like stick out to you, is something that like interests you, you can follow those in a variety of different avenues. So yeah, yeah it was great to hear you say like I pulled my rollerblades back out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that that is just as much of a of a movement as a gesture as like uh, making a line on a page. Yeah. You know, skating has taught me more than dance class ever did, right. really. Because, God, when you smash your body into the concrete, you know, a few times, <laughs> or you dislocate a few fingers, yeah. it's just like, wow, like that's really putting me right. in touch with the truth of my body, like yeah. the truth of my bones and my tissues and my will, mm-hmm. how much I want something or don't want something, what's, right. what I'm willing to risk. You know, it's not to shit on dance class too much. You'll never learn that stuff there. You're not going to, yeah. you're not going to, you know, everyone wants to have like sprung floors and Marley and mm-hmm. a clean floor. And sometimes in reality, you just don't have that. Yeah. But you got to, you know, pursue the thing you got to do. Think about dance class. I, I took dance classes as a kid. It's, there's very much an end goal and it's very much about repetition and pushing your body in that way but like with skateboarding you know your environment again can change and there's just so much that can go wrong yeah i got on about reaction once yeah. and i fell off and never again um, i was like this is not for me my you brother, didn't want my that pressure like, you didn't want that <laughs> no it hurt when i fell down i'm like i don't like looking at my skin knee so <laughs> we're not gonna do this fair. again that's not, yeah, yeah. That's it's not for me right right i had to do that to find out that just wasn't my yeah. my jam yeah <laughs> I'm not, I'm certainly not endorsing that everyone get on a skateboard and I'm just saying like, this is all valid territory (laughs) from which to like learn about what feels permitted to you or desired by you. That makes me think of like Matthew Barney too. Like I think he was a, he was a football player, right? At some point. And then he, okay. You know, Matthew (laughs) Barney. Yeah. Do you have a performance artist or even artists or maybe something outside of art entirely that was uh, an early influence to you? Like early on, like some of Matthew Barney's stuff was Mm -hmm. interesting to me. I mean, but he was a really singular representation as mm-hmm. far as like someone doing physical stuff that had ties to like some other creative discipline. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of times it's just like, just yeah. like the spirit. It's not even like the form. It's like Dario Robledo is an uh-huh. artist that I feel like a lot of spiritual resonance with, uh-huh. or like my friend, Tony Rico, okay. whose heart that is actually, <laughs> um, it's been really influential to me. I mean, he was, 
originally a dancer, mm-hmm. um, worked with like Shen Wei and Trisha Brown, Faye Driscoll, and done his own a lot of his own work and then transition into like these performance oriented drawings and I don't know he's someone who has like a lot of command I think with like materials but also Mm -hmm. like deeply articulate in his body which also is just really interesting to me as far as like gender goes and gender Mm -hmm. in America because like obviously like men in this country are not necessarily encouraged to have like I don't know a particular expressivity of like in the hips or like people are not practicing like your (laughs) like articulation for this thing very stiff yeah Yeah, like and that's sometimes where I guess writing also fails Mm -hmm. for me where like I love writing and I feel deeply connected mm-hmm. to like writers, but then it's like, but I need some skin in the game yeah. too. Yeah. That expanse of like influence. That's something that I think is good for everybody to do, regardless of your practice. Appreciating like the, the spirit of like someone's work instead of like just the output of their work. Even, you know, like Chloe's work conceptually, philosophically, spiritually, like I have I feel a lot of resonance with like her work mm-hmm. and like, that's like where like this thing emerges from. Yeah, I think as you point out, it's like just find like the spirit like yeah. the spirit is like, I think the thing that ultimately feeds us, you know, yeah. and that, that can, you can see that in a painting, you can see that in a sculpture, you can see that in an athlete, you can see that in, you know, your grandma. You can- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we're going to leave it there. Uh, check out the show notes for links on all the artists and writers and, and collaborators who've inspired Maddie. If you want to pick up a copy of the publication he was talking about, it's, it's super interesting. Head on over to the Momentary's website for more information there. I think you can still purchase it even after the performance if you missed that. So we'll be back very soon, very soon, fingers crossed, with part two of Goya. Subscribe to us on YouTube to watch it. It'll also be on your podcast feeds, but there's a lot of video elements. Yes, please. Thank you. Bye. Bye.